Chapter 15 The headlights burned into his eyes until all he could see was a shadowless glare of white. He heard the crunch of metal against metal, the shattering and cracking of glass. Then he felt the jolt. The impact threw him hard against the side of the car. The white glare became black, then flared white again. A stab of pain crossed the side of his head. He cried out. For some reason, there was a second jolt, a second slam against the hard car side, a second stab of pain. He heard the steady whir of a tire spinning in the air. He heard glass, pieces of glass hitting the road, cracking. He heard quiet sobs. The side of his head felt wet, warm wetness. Blood? He opened his eyes. The headlights were still in his eyes. Would he ever see again? Would he have the blinding whiteness in his eyes forever? He tried to speak, but he could only gasp. His throat felt tight and clogged. He coughed. He tried to cough his throat clear. Hey! He could speak. The pain in his side spread around his body. His head throbbed. He reached a hand up. It was blood. His head was bleeding. Shadows emerged. He began to see. He tried to lean forward. The pain was too intense. The shadows darkened. The night reappeared. He could see again. He could see that the car was tilted. Lights from the other car, the car they had collided with, threw a steady white light onto the front seat. He looked over at the girl. She was leaning forward at a funny angle. He gasped. He choked. Her head had gone through the windshield. He called her name. Amanda! He pulled her arm. He pulled her head back into the car. Her eye, her wide eyes stared back at him sightlessly. Her mouth fell open. She was dead. No, no, no! Amanda was dead. Donald. What about Donald? Donald? He called to him. What? He leaned past the dead girl and saw his brother. Donald shook his head. He was alive. His window. The window on the right side of the car was open. Donald stuck his head out the window, gasping for air, sucking in the cool night air. Donald was alive. Donald, Kerry said, blood dripping down his head onto his neck. Yeah, I'm here. Amanda, Kerry started to say. Donald didn't know yet. Donald didn't know that his girlfriend was dead. Only Kerry knew. Only Kerry. Kerry pushed at the wheel in front of him. Amanda, Donald said. She's dead, Kerry told him. He heard the whir of the spinning tire. No, Donald said. She's dead, Kerry said, through his throbbing pain, through the white glare that curtained his eyes again, through the blood, through the nausea that was rising from his stomach. She's dead, and it's all my fault. Whoa, that was a close one, Mandy said. She had pulled over and stopped by the side of the road. I don't know what happened. I guess my hands just slipped on the wheel. Kerry waited for his heart to stop pounding, waited for the white glare to fade from his eyes. He was sweating, he realized, a cold, wet sweat. His clothing felt drenched. Lucky that guy swerved in time. We would have bought it, Mandy said, shaking her head. Are you okay? Kerry didn't answer her. He had seen it all. He had seen it in the glare of the oncoming headlights. His memory had come back. That night, that dreadful night of horror had come back. Kerry, what's the matter? Are you okay? Mandy's voice was far, far away. It was a year ago. Amanda, Donald, and he were riding in the hills. He saw it all. He remembered it. He knew it. They crashed, collided head-on with a big Buick. The Buick had overturned. He remembered the sound of its tires whirring in the air. Donald was okay, just stunned. He had been cut, but not badly. He had a concussion. And Amanda... Amanda was dead. Oh my God, no! Kerry screamed at the top of his lungs. Mandy shrieked, reached forward, grabbed him by the shoulders. Kerry, what? What? We're okay. We're okay. 
We didn't crash, she cried. Amanda was dead. He saw it now. He saw it so clearly. He saw it all. He heard it. He smelled it. Smelled the blood, the burning rubber, smelled the horror. Amanda was dead, and it was all his fault. He saw it so clearly, so clearly his side ached and his head throbbed, and he felt it all over again. It was his fault. It was all his fault, because he was the driver. He slowly became aware that Mandy was shaking him by the shoulders. She can shake me, but she can't shake away the memories, he thought. Carrie, come on. It's okay, Carrie. Please. It's okay. Stop. You're scaring me. Mandy, you can stop. Stop shaking me. He pulled himself up in the smooth leather seat. He looked around. The moon reappeared above them, pale and full, reassuring somehow. There was no one around. The other driver had yelled something out his window, shook his fist at Mandy, and had roared away. Carrie? You scared me, Mandy said, sounding cross. We only had a close call, you know. You don't have to go into shock. Sorry, he muttered. How could he explain to her what had just happened? How could he tell her that an entire section of his life, a terrifying, heartbreaking section that had been missing for more than a year, had just come back to him? He couldn't. No way. Mandy, someday, he said. He tried not to sound too dramatic. Someday, I'll tell you what just happened to me. It's a long, long story, and not a happy one. But now, I think we better skip the point. I'm not going to be very good company. I think we better call it a night. You want me to take you home? She pouted again, but her eyes, those clear blue eyes, were filled with sympathy. She seems to understand. Okay, she said softly, patting his hand. I'm really a very good driver. I don't understand. I really can't explain now. It wasn't that. He suddenly felt weary, too weary to talk. He rested his head in his hands. They drove back through town. They didn't say much. The car hummed quietly. Trees bent and rustled in a strong autumn wind. He looked up. To his surprise, she had turned back onto Sycamore Street. Hey, Mandy? They were driving slowly past Amanda's house. He remembered the house clearly now, remembered Amanda's parents, remembered hanging out in the basement rec room with Amanda and Donald, remembered everything, a flood of memories that took place inside this house. What? What are we doing on Sycamore? Was she doing this to him deliberately? It wasn't possible, was it? I don't know. This is always the way I go. What street should I take? She seemed totally innocent. Carrie felt terribly guilty for suspecting her. Guilty. He had a year of feeling guilty to catch up on. He had been the driver. He had killed Amanda. He had killed Donald's girlfriend. No wonder he had wiped the memory from his mind. Shut it away for an entire year. No wonder. No wonder Donald was coming to get him now. Be careful. I'm coming. You should take Edgemont. It's faster, he snapped at Mandy. She looked startled. Sorry. I didn't realize you were in such a big hurry to be rid of me. She stared straight ahead, not looking at him. That's not what I meant. They rode the rest of the way without speaking. Every few minutes he lifted his head from his hands and looked over at her. She looked so pretty. It was nice to have one pretty thing, one nice thing happening in his life. But what was that expression on her face? Why was she driving with that smile, that pleased smile? What was she so pleased about? Chapter 16 He went right up to his room and tried to get to sleep, but he was wide awake. He stared at the shifting shadows of tree branches cast by the moon onto his low ceiling, shadows that beckoned, shadows that disturbed the night's stillness and made Carrie feel as if he were moving beneath them, moving through the year he had misplaced. He remembered the night clearly now, also a breezy night of shifting shadows. 
He remembered the three of them hanging out in Amanda's rec room, Donald lying on a billiards table while Carrie and Amanda had to shoot around him. Amanda's mom brought them tall glasses of iced tea. No, lemonade. It was bitter, terribly bitter, but they drank it anyway, making hilarious faces, trying to outgross each other. No, wait. Donald poured his into the rubber tree plant. That's right. Then they went for a drive up in the South Hills. Whose idea was it anyway? Donald's? No, Amanda's. She always wanted to get away from home. They were so happy, so silly. Donald and Amanda never seemed to mind if Carrie tagged along. At least, Carrie never noticed it. That made him very happy. It always made him happy to be with Donald, doing things that Donald did. So they went for a drive. Carrie asked if he could drive. He was only 15, not old enough. But sometimes, Donald let him drive, just for laughs. Just for laughs. Donald pulled over. Amanda protested. He teased her. He got out of the car. Walked across the hood, doing a balancing act like he was on a high wire. Carrie got behind the wheel. Donald took Carrie's place, riding shotgun. Donald took Carrie's place. Donald was sent away, but Carrie wasn't. Donald took Carrie's place, but Carrie was the driver. Why wasn't Carrie sent away? Why was Donald the one who got punished? Lying in bed, staring up at the twisting shadows, Carrie realized that there was still a piece missing, still a part he didn't remember. Was that why Donald was coming after him now? Because the wrong brother got punished for the crime? Carrie got behind the wheel. It was dark in the hills and he was going too fast. He didn't really have control, but he was too scared to tell Donald. He didn't like to be laughed at, especially not by Donald, especially not in front of Amanda. And then they crashed, and Amanda died, blood all over. He pulled her head back into the car and saw her eyes. Her eyes. They looked so surprised. And then he screamed. And then... The piece was missing. What happened then? What happened next? When'd you get in last night? His father looked and sounded tired. He sucked on his coffee cup as if it were a matter of life or death. Early. Carrie didn't really feel like talking. Should he tell them that Donald had called? Probably. But he just didn't have the strength. You and this Mandy getting pretty serious? Carrie looked up, surprised. His father usually didn't ask such personal questions. No, not really. He poured milk over his cornflakes and sat down across from his father. Dad, I'm starting to get my memory back. He hadn't intended to tell him this morning. Why did he start? I can remember the accident, that whole night, most of it anyway. Lieutenant Hart put the coffee cup down gently. He put both hands on the edge of the table, grasping the table as if for support. That's good, Carrie. Maybe you should go see Dr. Kessel after school. Dr. Kessel... Carrie had seen her three times a week for nearly eight months after the accident. She was a nice lady, a good listener. He had forgotten all about her, shut her out of his mind. Yeah, maybe, he said. It isn't going to be easy to deal with. She can help you, Lieutenant Hart said, still gripping the table, his white knuckles the only sign that he was nervous about what Carrie was telling him. God knows I can't help much. I'm only a cop. It's a help to talk to you, Dad. That embarrassed his father. He pushed himself up, groaning from the pain in his back. I gotta get going. Take care, and go see Dr. Kessel. Yeah, right. Bye. Lieutenant Hart started out the door, then stopped. The boys at the lab went over the car, he said with a frown. They didn't find much, no prints or anything. The tires were cut with some sort of hunting knife. And the windows, a hammer of some kind, was used on them. A soft hammer, like a mallet. Any of your friends walk around with a hunting knife and a mallet? Carrie smiled. I'll keep an eye out. You do that. Any more weird phone calls? Should he tell him about Donald? No. 
Something kept him from saying it. No. No calls. Must have been a wrong number, right? Right, Dad. Must have been a lot of wrong numbers. The week went by quickly. It was a short week since there had been no school on Monday. Carrie felt calmer, having talked to Dr. Kessel. She urged him to tell his father about Donald's phone call, but he hadn't done it. He kept expecting to see Donald every time he turned a corner, every time he returned home, but there was no trace of him. He spoke to Mandy a few times on the phone. Each time she seemed preoccupied and eager to get off. He asked if she still thought she was being followed, and she said yes. Maybe you should call the police, Carrie had suggested. Oh, that's very helpful, she had replied angrily. Shall we do something this weekend? he asked. Maybe. Her voice was flat, bored. The phone rang once late at night. He picked it up, filled with the dread he had become accustomed to. But it was only a wrong number, someone asking for Carlos. Thanks for calling, he had said, feeling relieved. Friday night, everyone was going out but him. I'm gone, Sean said, giving him a wave, his overnight bag in his other hand. Where are you going, Carrie asked. But Sean was out the door. He's going to see that friend of his who lives upstate, you know, the one with the horses. Carrie didn't know. Sean didn't tell him much about his friends. Sean didn't tell him much, period. Where's my cap? His father grumbled. Why can't I ever find my cap? Maybe you should have two caps, Carrie suggested. You stand a better chance that way. A cop with two caps that would shake up the whole department, his father chuckled. It would be a major advance in police science. He searched the living room until he found it, tucked between the cushions on the worn green sofa. He placed it carefully on his head and started to the door. Hey, Dad? Yeah. Something I didn't tell you, Carrie said softly. You had that look on your face, Lieutenant Hart said, coming back into the room, leaning on the sofa back. Donald called a few days ago. Lieutenant Hart didn't look surprised, didn't change his blank expression. I thought he might. What'd he say? I didn't give him a chance, Carrie admitted, embarrassed. I got so nervous I accidentally hung up on him. And he didn't call back? No, uh-uh. So what'd he say, his father repeated, looking into Carrie's eyes, trying to find more of the story there, just like a cop. He said, be careful, I'm coming, Carrie shrugged. His father finally showed some emotion. He turned his thin white lips down in a frown and shook his head sadly. I was afraid of this, he said, so quietly Carrie could barely hear him, all those months in the hospital. Carrie couldn't decide whether to tell him about Mandy and her feeling that Donald was following her. He decided not to. Why get her involved? Listen, Carrie, Lieutenant Hart was thinking hard. I really don't want to leave you alone here tonight. Why, Dad? You don't think that Donald wants to hurt me, do you? Carrie said, finding it hard to even say those unthinkable words. His own brother? I don't know. I really don't, Lieutenant Hart said, fiddling with the brim of his cap. You said you got your memory back. Do you remember what happened after the accident? Carrie stared back at his father. After the accident? No. Nothing. Dad, tell me, he said finally. You've got to now. You've got no choice. Lieutenant Hart considered this for a long time, staring down at the green couch, shaking his head. When he looked up, he looked a hundred years old. Carrie, your brother tried to kill you. After the accident, Donald went berserk, Lieutenant Hart said in a flat, emotionless policeman's tone. He just lost control, I guess. When we came on the scene, he had dragged you out of the car. He was shaking you, choking you, screaming at the top of his lungs. That's why Donald was sent away, Carrie. It took three men to pull him off you. Three men. But he didn't know what he was doing, right? Carrie said through his shock, through his sorrow. The question seemed to catch his father by surprise. Well, 
I guess you could say that. He was definitely out of his mind. So, he didn't really know what he was doing. He didn't really know it was me or anything, right? The hatred was still there, Carrie. The fury was still there. His hands were around your throat. Carrie stared at his father. There didn't seem to be anything more to say. He had it now, the missing piece. He didn't want it, but he had it. I didn't want to tell you, Lieutenant Hart said, still gripping the back of the sofa. I never wanted to tell you. They stared at each other for a long while. The room seemed to grow dark, even though the lights were on. I've got to go, Lieutenant Hart said finally. I don't want to leave you here tonight, but I have no choice. Listen, Carrie, lock all the doors after I leave. I'm going to call McCarty and see that a patrol car goes by here every 15 minutes. The house will be under watch. You should be okay if Donald... If Donald... I'll be okay, Carrie said, his voice nearly a whisper. If you hear or see anything, call the station immediately. Hear? Write that. And listen, don't go out. I mean that. Stay here. Stay locked up. Your brother may not mean you any harm, but we don't know for sure. I'll make sure that patrol car is around here all the time. So you just stay put, okay? Okay, Dad, Carrie said annoyed. I'll be fine. I'll pull a Sean tonight. I'll lie here and watch some old sitcoms. You do that, Lieutenant Hart said. He finally let go of the sofa. He turned and disappeared out the front door. Hey, lock up, he called from outside. Shaking his head, Carrie walked to the front door and locked it. Then he walked through the kitchen and locked the back door. Somehow the fact that his father was more upset than he was cheered him. He knew it would be a long night. He knew he'd jump every time a twig cracked outside the house. But he just couldn't picture it. He just couldn't picture his brother coming back to kill him. Not Donald. Not good-natured, fun-loving Donald. Not his brother. Still. He locked the windows and pulled the shades. The back of his neck felt tight and stiff. He felt a little dizzy. He realized his heart was pounding. Yes, it would be a long night. What was that noise? Something scrabbled across the roof. A squirrel? He held his breath and listened. Silence. I'd better put on some music or something, he thought. I need some noise around here. Something squeaked. He jumped. It was just the floor beneath the sneakers. Oh boy, was it going to be a long night. When the phone rang, he nearly jumped out of his sneakers. His throat tightened. He didn't know if he could answer it. Was it Donald? Was it a call from the girl who was threatening to break his bones? He decided not to answer it. It rang and rang. He couldn't keep his resolve. He picked it up. Carrie, it's me, Mandy. Oh, hi, Mandy. I'm so glad. Carrie, you've got to help me. I'm so frightened. It's Donald. I think he's here, in the house. Please, Carrie. Please. Chapter 17 her voice still echoed in his ear for a long time after he had hung up. I can't stay here, she had said, out of breath, talking in a terrified whisper. I locked him in the basement. I've got to get away. I'll be right over. And then she had hung up before he could say a word. Had she hung up? Or had the line been cut? Of course she had hung up, he told himself. Don't start imagining things. Don't start making it worse. How could it be worse? He replaced the receiver on the phone, but he didn't move. He had to think, had to clear his head, had to figure out the best thing to do. At first, he was happy Mandy was on her way over to his house. He needed the company, and he liked the idea of coming to her rescue. But would Mandy be any safer with him? What could the two of them do against Donald if he really was a raging, dangerous lunatic out to get her? Or them? Be careful. I'm coming. And why was Donald chasing after Mandy? What was her connection to Donald? 
The answer came to Carrie in a flash, a sudden realization that filled him with dread. She had no connection to Donald. Her only connection to Donald was Carrie. Donald was following Mandy because of Carrie. Donald was out to get Mandy because of Carrie. Carrie had killed Donald's girlfriend, and now Donald had come back, had escaped from a mental hospital, and had come back to kill Carrie's girlfriend. Something clattered against the kitchen window, and Carrie's heart leaped into his throat. Ah! he cried aloud, then realized it was probably just an acorn dropping off the tree in the back, or a clump of dry leaves. He walked to the refrigerator on shaky legs and got a Coke. He pulled open the can and took a long drink, telling himself to calm down. How can I calm down when it's all my fault, came the answer. Now he felt terribly guilty for the suspicions he had begun to have about Mandy. When she had driven twice past the house on Sycamore Street, it had crossed his mind that she was taking that route deliberately. And then there had been that odd, pleased smile, so out of place, so mysterious, that smile he had caught on her face the night he regained his memory. But how ridiculous to suspect her. All along, he should have suspected himself. Poor Mandy. She was in danger because of him, because of something he had done more than a year before she met him. He made up his mind to protect her. But how? What could he do? He was startled from his thoughts by insistent pounding on the front door. He ran to the door, began to turn the knob, then hesitated. What if it wasn't Mandy? Who's there? It's me. Mandy. Where were you? I've been knocking on the door for nearly a minute. He pulled open the door. I'm sorry. I was... She threw her arms around him and buried her face in his neck. Carrie, I'm so glad, so glad, thank you, she said. Her face felt hot against his neck. He returned her hug. If she only knew the truth, he told himself, she wouldn't be thanking me. Everything will be okay, he said unconvincingly. He liked having her so close to him, pressing against him like this. But he could feel her fear, feel the desperation in her touch, and it only increased his feelings of guilt. She pulled away suddenly. Quick, she said, her eyes darting around the small living room. We can't stay here. He'll be after us. No, he said, holding her shoulders. We have to stay. We'll be safe here. We'll be sitting ducks here, she said, her voice suddenly hard. We have to get far away. Some place he doesn't know. Some place where he won't be able to find us. I promised my dad, Carrie said, walking to the sofa, wanting to be away from the window. He said to stay here. No, no, we can't. Her eyes were wild with fear. Fear that was all his fault. She was pleading with him now. There's a cabin, she said, following him to the sofa. It's in Granger Forest. Relatives of mine own it. But they're not there now. I have a key. Carrie, listen to me. We'll be safe there. He won't find us. No, I can't, Carrie started. But he realized she was right. They would be safer away from the house. This house Donald knew so well. He had to try to protect her. It was his fault Donald was chasing her. He had to do something. Even if it meant going against his father's wishes. Okay, he said. You're right. Let's go. She hugged him again. She seemed so grateful, so desperate. We'll be safer, she whispered in his ear, her breath hot against his face. And we'll be together. Her lips brushed his cheek. I I'll uh, call my dad, he stammered. Then we'll go. Hurry, please, she said, her voice tiny like a little girl's. Dad won't like it, he said, but he'll realize it's the safest plan. He picked up the receiver and started to dial. Hey, he cried in surprise. No dial tone. It's silent. Dead. The surprise turned to fear. Oh my God, she cried. We've got to get out of here. I'll be back in two seconds, he said, dropping the dead phone receiver to the floor. He ran upstairs and pulled his backpack from the closet. He stuffed a few shirts and other clothes into it, grabbing them from his dresser drawer without looking. Then he came running down the steps. Okay, let's make tracks.
You sound like a bad movie, she said. I wish it was a movie, he muttered as they stepped outside. The night was colder than he had thought. His breath steamed, and he shivered from the surprised chill. Mandy opened the trunk to the firebird. Throw your pack in here, she said, her eyes surveying the trees warily. She was shivering, too. The trunk was filled with camping gear, a canvas tent, fishing rods, a tackle box, an overnight bag, and a long wooden mallet. Carrie felt a sinking feeling in his stomach. Mandy, he called. She was already climbing into the driver's seat. What? Hurry, will you? Mandy, this mallet, what's it for? What? Frowning, she came running to the back of the car. What's the problem? What's this mallet for? I didn't put it there. It's my dad's, you know, for pounding in tent pegs. Come on, Carrie. What's the matter with you? Let's go. Again, the guilty feelings. Why was he so suspicious? How could he suspect this poor, frightened girl? Shaking his head, he climbed in beside her. She started the car and floored it, and they sped off down the hill. Maybe we'll use the mallet, she said suddenly, eyes on the curving road. We'll pitch a tent in the woods. That'll be romantic. And the cold, he said, still shivering. I'll keep you warm, she whispered, squeezing his hand and giving him a sexy smile. She wore an oversized gray sweatshirt over jeans. He realized it was the first time he had seen her dressed like a normal person. He smiled back. She looked terrific. He was beginning to warm up to the idea of being out in the woods in a cabin alone with her. The highway became a road. The road became a gravel path. The gravel gave way to dirt. It's right up there, hidden behind the tall pine trees, she said, her bright headlights cutting through the dark, frosty air, illuminating a thick tangle of pines and oaks and white-barked cedars that seemed to jump out at the car. The cold wind howled. Tree branches bent and shuddered. Fat, brown leaves blew up against the windshield as they made their way slowly up the twisting dirt road toward the hidden cabin. Are you sure you know where you're going? Carrie asked. No, she said. She smiled. Does it really matter? She seemed less nervous out here, surrounded by the shifting, blowing darkness. She smiled easily again, and her voice had regained its purr. Carrie, you look so cold. I didn't realize. I should have brought my... We'll get a roaring fire going in the fireplace. We'll be cozy and warm before you know it. She dropped a hand to his thigh and let it rest there for a while. I'll make you glad you rescued me, she said softly, her eyes on the narrow, twisting path ahead. Carrie smiled. This may turn out to be a memorable weekend, he told himself. Suddenly, she stopped the car. We're here. She climbed out of the car and walked up to the cabin door. He stood at the car and watched her struggle with the key. Finally, she managed to get the door open. She disappeared inside, and a few seconds later, a bright lamp went on outside the cabin door, and a few lights inside came to life. The cabin was surrounded by tall weeds and high, overgrown grass that was more than knee-high. It appeared no one had tended to it in quite a long while. In the light, Carrie could see that it was pretty large. Two or three bedrooms, probably, built of logs and wide slats of pine, weathered and very run-down looking. One of the side windows was cracked and had been covered with a sheet. A four-legged animal of some sort, probably a raccoon or a mole, scampered away as Carrie walked up to the front door. The animal startled him, and he nearly tripped over a clump of tangled weeds. It looks pretty good inside, Mandy said, appearing suddenly at the doorway, looking pale, almost ghostly in the yellow light from the cabin lamp. There's even some canned food in the pantry. Nothing great, but we won't starve. Carrie shivered. Let's unpack the trunk, he said. I'm freezing. He couldn't stop shivering now. Was it just a cold? She leaned over and gave him a quick, warm kiss on the cheek. I know some good ways to warm you up, she said, teasing. Before he could react, she ran to the car trunk and reached into her jeans pocket for the key. He walked carefully through the overgrown weeds to help her unload. 
What was that? she cried, grabbing his arm tightly. They heard footsteps, crunching, a twig cracking a few hundred yards away in the trees. Animals, I guess, Carrie said, trying to hide his own fear. It's their forest, you know. But do they have to walk around so loudly? she asked, lifting her suitcase from the trunk. After they got all their belongings inside, Carrie looked for the phone. I've got to reach my dad, he told her. Otherwise, I'll have the entire police force going nuts. The kitchen was small, but fully equipped with an electric stove and oven. A refrigerator, even a dishwasher. It was wallpapered, a hideous yellow and pink flower design, faded and peeling at the ceiling corners. The phone was an old-fashioned black one at the corner of the stained Formica kitchen counter. Carrie picked it up and began to dial. Silence. The phone was dead. No dial tone, he told her. Oh, gee, she said, looking very concerned. I'm sorry. They probably have it turned off. No one uses the cabin much after the summer. Carrie shivered. It's almost as cold inside as out, he said angrily. Is there a town nearby? Some place I can call from? She shrugged. I don't know. I'm a tourist here too, you know. Carrie began to pace back and forth in the tiny kitchen. Now what am I going to do, he asked. You're going to go get firewood so we can warm this place up, Mandy said softly, trying to soothe him. We'll get a nice fire going, and I'll make us big steaming cups of hot chocolate. That sounds okay, he said, still thinking about how he was going to call his dad. It'll be more than okay. You'll see, she purred. Then we'll stay up all night, telling each other our problems and our life stories and other stuff. He smiled despite his mood. That other stuff sounds interesting, he said. She pushed him toward the door. There's a small shed out in back, she told him. There always used to be a big pile of firewood next to the shed. Go see. Bring back a lot. It's a big fireplace. And I love a big fire. He clumped outside. The cold stung his face. Tall weeds brushed his jeans as he made his way around the cabin, sending small animals scurrying, his socks wet from the frost, turning his left ankle in a small hole as he tried to walk. There is no light in the back. He waited for his eyes to adjust. He could make out the dark outline of a low shed, and he headed toward it. An animal howled in the distance, another picking up its cry. What am I doing here? he asked himself. A few hours ago, I was in my warm house in front of the TV, safe and, well, he wasn't safe. Now at least he was with Mandy, and far away from Donald. He took a deep breath. The air was cold but fresh. Things could be worse, he thought. If only he could reach his dad. There is a stack of firewood neatly cut and piled by the side of the shed. He cradled four logs in his arms and started to the cabin with them. They were frost-covered, but they would burn. He wondered if there was any kindling. Mandy was at the stove, stirring a pot with a big wooden spoon. He stumbled across the entrance, nearly spilling the logs across the kitchen floor. Very gracefully done, she said, and laughed. I get the feeling you're not the outdoors type. Oh, I go outdoors all the time, Carrie said, brightening a little at her good humor. Whenever I'm not indoors, I'm usually outdoors. Go put the logs in the fireplace, she said in a mock scolding tone. If that's the level of conversation we're going to have, it's going to be a long night, she laughed again. You certainly got in a good mood, he said. The remark seems to startle her. Oh, well, I... I guess it's being with you. She turned back to her staring. The other room was used as a living and a dining room. The wide fireplace, which had been swept clean and didn't appear to have been used recently, took up most of the far wall. A small dining room table of painted oak stood in front of the fire, with four wooden chairs around it. A couch with one torn cushion stood against one wall. A moose head with only one antler was hung at a tilt above the couch. Not the most luxurious, Carrie told himself. If there's no kindling, I can always use the dining room chairs, or the moose head. But he found a basket of sticks to the right of the fireplace. 
and he set to work building the fire. A few moments later, he stepped back proudly. A few of the sticks had caught fire. The fireplace soon began to crackle and glow. The logs sizzled, then smoked. Then finally, low flames began to nip and flare around the edges. Not exactly a roaring blaze, Mandy said, smiling, setting down two large gray mugs on the small dining room table in front of the fire. Give it time, give it time, Carrie said. In a few minutes, I promise this place will be a raging inferno. Again, Mandy seemed startled by his remark. She gave him a curious look, then quickly tried to cover it with a smile. Sit down, she said, pointing to his mug, which she had placed across from her on the table. Drink this. It will warm you. Smells great, Carrie said, sitting down. The chair was hard and cold. He looked to the fire. Not bad. It's getting there, he said. It'll warm the entire room, she said, once it gets going. She sipped her hot chocolate. Mmm, nice and hot. Carrie sipped his. It burned his tongue, but he didn't mind. He just wanted to get warm. Good, he said. They looked at each other across the table. He suddenly felt very shy. I don't believe it, he thought to himself. I'm going to spend the night with this girl. He took another hot gulp of the chocolatey drink. It's going to be a very nice fire, Mandy said, staring at the flickering orange and yellow flames. Something popped, shooting bright red sparks across the fireplace screen. This is just how I imagined it. Carrie took a long drink of hot chocolate. He was beginning to feel warmer. Imagine what, he said quietly, becoming hypnotized by the flickering flames and their darting shadows. What? You said this is exactly how you imagined it. I did? She seemed embarrassed. Yes, you did, Carrie insisted. I don't really know what I meant. Fires always make me a bit dreamy, she said, reaching across the table and taking his hand. It's such a shame, Carrie. She was really confusing him now. What was a shame? Are you feeling okay? He asked. Sure, she said, still holding his hand. Now that you're here with me, everything's going to be fine. Are you okay? Yeah, I guess, he said, his back itched. He suddenly felt too warm. That fire gives off a lot of heat, doesn't it? He said, pulling off his sweater and tossing it onto the couch. He took another long sip of the hot chocolate. I told you I'd get you nice and warm, she said softly. Good hot chocolate, he said, thinking about her hand, which still held onto his. It's an old family recipe, she said, right from an envelope. You haven't told me much about your family, Carrie said, and he tried to cover a yawn with his hand. You don't want to hear about my family. You're yawning already, she teased, squeezing his hand. No, really, I do, he yawned again. I suddenly feel so sleepy. I'm sorry. I guess it's the change from being so cold to being so warm. Are you hot, too? She laughed. Am I hot? Don't be crude. I thought you wanted to hear about my family. His head felt heavy. It was hard to keep his eyes open. He looked into the fire, so warm, so silent, so peaceful. You look so sleepy, poor baby, Mandy said. She leaned across the table, lowered her head, and kissed the back of his hand. Poor, poor baby. I'm not... really... Carrie's eyes closed. He struggled to open them. He could hear Mandy's voice. She was saying, poor, poor baby. Over and over again, he thought. But she sounded miles away. Miles and miles. The fire had turned gray. What happened to the flames? It was still burning hot, but he couldn't see the flames. Only gray. Only gray. He was falling falling into a gray sleep. Catch me. Catch me, Mandy, he thought. But she was miles and miles away. Poor baby. He woke up slowly, groggily, his head as heavy as a rock. He saw that the fire had burned low, the blackened logs still hissing over gray ashes. His back ached. He realized he was still sitting at the small dining room table. His head ached. He tried to stand up, but he couldn't. 
The fact that he couldn't woke him up. He saw that his hands were tied behind him with a thick coil of rope. He tried to kick away from the chair, but his ankles were tied together, and his feet were tied tightly to the chair legs. Poor baby, Mandy said, standing across the table. Her dark purple lips were spread wide across her pale face in a grin. Her pale blue eyes, normally so flat and unrevealing of any emotion, sparkled with life. Poor baby, she said. You're awake. 